0: trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Ladies and gentlemen, Oklahoma, where the wind, whatever that song is. Today's episode's about Oklahoma. Uh, It's a Hunter Profile podcast. We're going to be talking with Garrick Harrison. I think he's been on the podcast a couple times before. The dude runs into Big Deer every year. Uh, He's from a state that some may say is a sleeper state, but I don't think there's anything as a sleeper state anymore in the whitetail uh, world. I mean, Oklahoma with their generous uh their generous how do you put this uh tag allocations makes it real easy for residents and non-residents alike to go out and shoot a really good you know good deer every year uh along with the habitat uh some of that has to do with management some of that has to do with the terrain you know they they live in these environments from what i'm guessing is How do I put this Uh, environments where they can go undetected in certain areas? Maybe it's a population thing, a hunter pressure population thing. Um, And maybe there's not as many hunters in some of these states. Maybe uh, they live in environments where people just aren't willing to go the extra mile or or they overlook a property and say, hey, there's no deer here. But there is deer there could be one of many things. And uh, we talked to Garrick about that today, man. Really, really fun conversation with him. We talk about uh, rules and regulations in Oklahoma. We talk about public versus private. We talk about using feeders and baiting in the state. Uh, We talk about the ability to use your tag in Oklahoma, either on a whitetail or uh, a mule deer, depending on what part of the state you're in. And it's just a really fun conversation with another serious hunter. Right, and I love having conversations with this. Uh, We get we this is a detailed podcast, man. We we talk in detail about some of these topics, and hopefully, you guys enjoy it. All right, Um, I still have not sighted in my muzzleloader, and I definitely need to. Finally, my family is getting off of. uh, Man, what getting getting away from being sick. This is no joke. My son, I don't know if I said this in the other podcast. I can't, Like, all of my time is just mushed into one, like, foggy memory. Uh, but my, my son, this past weekend, threw up in his sleep, rolled in it. Then he decided, I'm going to fall back asleep in my own puke. The vomit got into his ear, which caused him to get an ear infection. And now he's on ear infection medication. Uh, <laughs> like... Dude, nobody told me, I wish my dad would have told me years ago when I was younger or my mom uh, warned me about the amount of feces and vomit that, that, that a parent is going to have to deal with within the, the time span of like a child's life. Now you times that by three or however many kids you have and it's just truckloads of barf. And truckloads of shit, right? I can remember my very first experience outside of the hospital. This is no joke. If for those of you who know, you know, for those of you who don't, if someday you have kids, you'll you'll learn this. But the, the first couple bowel movements that a baby has are of umbil- umbilical fluid type stuff that is in their stomach from being... Uh, in the mother's womb and it's black and it's tarry and it's just sticky and disgusting well I laid my daughter down and she had a little bit of a, a wet diaper and she hadn't pooped yet I took her diaper off I threw it in the trash and rule number one mistake in parenting was made that day and that was never leave your baby a brand new baby without a diaper on so I I was turning my back, put the diaper in the, the dirty diaper trash can or whatever it is. And I hear this, what sounded like someone throwing a sloppy Joe against a wall. She shit this black tar substance across a wall over a, a, on the wall over a three foot span. And this is this is a eight pound baby. An eight pound baby power pooped black tar across an entire wall. It stained the wall. And later, a couple months later, I had to repaint an entire wall because my daughter pooped on the wall. So <laughs> this has nothing to do with deer hunting. It's just this is this is my life. Right. This is this is life in it for all of us. And so I love I love talking about things like this. I think what I want to do is I want to have a, a I want to do a podcast with somebody. I don't want to do it by myself, but it would be awesome to have another dad uh and we we're both hunters, but we don't talk about hunting at all. And so I feel like that would be a really interested uh really interesting podcast. Maybe you'd like it, maybe you won't. I don't know. Let's uh Maybe we brainstorm about it. Let's brainstorm about it. Okay. Um, today we got to do some commercials. I really. First off, I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you who takes time out of your day to download and listen to the oh, unprofessional, unprofessional. Anyway, it is time to do the commercials. Thank you very much. Uh, tethered. If you're looking for a saddle, saddle hunting accessories, go check out Tethered, dude. Um, there are huge benefits to using a saddle not only for the ultra mobile crew but the tree stand hunter as well and uh you'll you've you've heard me talk about that so uh tethered uh, nation.com wasp archery one of my favorite heads in creation of broadheads that didn't make sense but i love wasp dude um fixed and mechanicals most of their heads are still manufactured in in the united states and with that comes a little bit of an uptick in quality and materials so wasparchery.com discount code nfc20 vortex optics i don't need to say much about that these guys have been doing it right for a very long time huge fan of the products and the people of that company Uh, and uh, go check out the triumph hd new new binos and then they also have a brand new tripod this year it's very light Uh, I used it this year when I went out west. It's uh, amazing, like no problems with it. And then also a kid's pair of binoculars that uh, they've introduced this year. So if you're looking for maybe a Christmas present or looking for um, just a a really cool product to get your kids that might get them excited about the outdoors, you definitely need to go check out that uh, Vortex binoculars. Code Blue Sense. these guys are crushing it over there at Code Blue. if you have never messed around with mock scrapes, I strongly suggest you do that. Uh, I, I am still amazed by the amount of deer that have came to a mock or dope system with the preorbital glands scent that I've rubbed on it, and the amount of deer that come over investigate it. They may not make a scrape but they're, they investigate it and the deer not only come up to it, but I put a trail camera in front of it and now I get inventory of all the deer. And I'm not talking about just bucks. All deer come to investigate it. So uh, codebluesense.com, discount code NFC20 and that's going to get you 20% off. Woodman's Pal, another awesome Christmas gift for any serious outdoorsman. Uh, because I can see this tool also being used um, for trappers. I can see it being used for uh, anybody who does property management. I can see it um, in the pack of hunters, uh, on in your side-by-side, in your truck. Anytime you need a sharp tool to hack shit, Woodman's Pal is there for you. So woodmanspal.com. Go check it out. The American-made product. Been around since the 40s. Very high quality and what's the last one huntworth dude my opinion one of the best and most affordable layering systems for hunting camo clothing on the market and so uh you definitely got to go check out huntworthgear.com these guys are crushing it with their their late season stuff that's coming up i mean the the heat boost technology is killer uh my late season my my late season layout is going to be all huntworth And, dude, I love their base layers. I love their mid, their insulation layers, their heat boost technology. Uh, You got to go check it out. And uh, last but not least, dude, we are selling, dude, be a part of this. And I want all of you to listen to me that I want to thank you seriously a lot. I can't even talk today. But thank you for all of you who have supported the... Uh, Nine Finger Chronicles. Thank you f- for all of those people who have supported the the introduction of Full Sneak Gear, the new uh, t-shirt company, apparel company that I'm started. Um, thank you for being patient as I as I'm building this company, starting starting it up. Uh, I'm trying to get all the orders out by Christmas. I'm hoping that that happens. But um, if you want to support me, go to fullsneakgear.com. You know, instead of making a, you know, a Patreon page, go, go support Full Sneak Gear uh, at fullsneakgear.com and uh, buy a t-shirt, buy a hat, buy a stocking cap and, uh, man, take advantage of some, I mean, I think these t-shirts are kick-ass. I have more, uh, t-shirts and hoodie ideas and hats, uh, coming down the pipe. So go out and, uh. Buy buy that stuff, that supports me, and then I can get you some awesome quality uh, gear uh, to you as well. So fullsneakgear.com, it's badass, dude. I'm not I'm 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 not picking shit T-shirts. I have handpicked every single p- garment um, of the highest quality, and it's the kind of T-shirts where you know it makes you look good in a T-shirt. You know, it's not tight around the waist, it's not tight in the gut. It's it's you know, maybe a little fit, you know, athletic around the shoulders and chest, but then it kind of goes straight down and dude, I, I look good in it. You look good in it. Fullsneakgear.com. Anyway. All right. Too much talking. Let's get into today's episode all the way from Oklahoma. It's a Hunter Profile podcast. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you on the back end three two one all right ladies and gentlemen welcome to another episode of the nine finger chronicles i'm your host dan johnson and today all the way from oklahoma mr garrick harrison how you doing man doing good how are you i'm doing great man uh you you connected on a good deer this year it looks like
1: absolutely yeah last the last day of the oklahoma raffle season
0: all right Perfect. Perfect. All right. And so basically what we're going to do today is we're going to do kind of a little bit of a hunter profile on you. We're going to talk about where you hunt, how you hunt, uh, things that you've seen uh, out, you know, out in the field, uh, deer, how they act, things like that. Just a, a BS conversation like we always do. But before we get into that, what do you do for a living?
1: So I work for Delisi Bros, a concrete company here that originated in Oklahoma. Okay um i've been doing that that's kind of a new career path for me um but i do have a background of aggregate uh, working in quarries and things like that um so i kind of move forward with doing stuff with delicia with concrete um try to make me build me a future there and
0: gotcha gotcha and when when you say concrete are you the guy laying it or are you selling it or what what's your bond salesman
1: I'm the salesman, I'm the manager over uh, in my hometown here, and then a little subtown here, Sulphur Davis. Yeah. Uh, So, kind of do a little of everything.
0: Yeah. Man, I'll tell you, one of the jobs that I had uh, back in the day, like 20 years ago, there was a period of time where we would lay uh, corn crib or or, uh, grain bend foundations, so big circles, Uh, of concrete and then uh, they had you know they had to put the drain in in the bottom of it in order to get the corn the auger down in there and the corn would come out or soybeans or whatever the grain was and trying to level with the giant board right in the center level that 50 foot wide circle it just was exhausting especially in august when the humidity is like a hundred percent 100%.
1: Hundred percent. Yeah, dude, it'll set up very quick.
0: Yeah, yep. And uh, that's why these days, even though I have concrete experience, like you know, laying it and try most mostly what I did was finishing work. So I would do the troweling and and put the edge on things. I guess I was good at it, so they made me do that part of it but I still hire it out every time I need concrete work done because yeah. Did I... your
1: back and knees hurt every time. when you said that?
0: <laughs> Well, my back and knees uh, hurt every single day anyway. So that's probably why my back and knees hurt is from years Absolutely. of doing that kind of, that kind of labor. Absolutely.
1: Yep. I slipped away today for a big pour. We had a day for uh, almost 300 yards today just to come do this with you. So yeah,
0: Dang. That's a lot of concrete. That's a lot of concrete. Um, (laughs) all right, concrete, your job. Does it allow you to have a flexible schedule and and get out and hunt? Absolutely. So
1: kind of a backstory that I, right before I did this, I actually worked for a Ford dealership. Mm -hmm. We previously on the podcast, that's where I was currently working I worked there for almost five years in the service department there. Loved it. Had pretty good flexibility there to be able to hunt. Um, did have to work some weekends with this new job opportunity that I have here with the um I will have more flexibility to be able to hunt and fish and do things like that so
0: yeah um, I look forward to that yeah I'll I'll tell you this man I had a job in my early 20s and I said to them okay like here's my passion I love to hunt um I love to fish I love to you know go do that. And I can only do that certain times a year. Uh, are you okay with me taking all my vacation within a short period of time? And they're like, Oh yeah, absolutely. But then I get in the door and they started rejecting some of those, uh, uh, uh vacation requests. And I did not last that long at that job because like I did, I just, I'm not, I'm not going to miss any deer seasons, dude. Yeah,
1: yeah. absolutely. You know, uh, this year, you know, so me and my wife have been together for going on five years together, buried for four, and uh, she kind of knows. October rolls around, the uh, pictures and the outings kind of, they kind of go down, go down, you know. <laughs> I'm killing that deer like I did last day of deers, the last day of rifle season. Yeah. She's like, oh, my gosh, you owe me. You're taking me out.
0: Yeah, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, let's see here. Oklahoma born and raised yes sir okay gotcha and so you know I hear good things and I'm gonna like about the state of Oklahoma and just the abundance of wildlife that they have there not only not only whitetails but you go out west they have mule deer uh, there as well um, you know I've, I've heard that the fishing can be really good in certain pockets but you know when it when any but anybody talks about a certain state, especially when they don't live there, I'm going to talk about an assumption real quick, and the assumption is Iowa, right? And so everybody thinks that Iowa is this awesome state. It is in certain pockets, right? Southeastern Iowa, Southern Iowa, even Southwestern Iowa, and even Northeastern Iowa. But then we have these this big expansive region of cropland that just doesn't hold that much deer. And if they do, they get pounded pretty hard during the the gun season because it's wide open. You can drive them up into funnels, blast them, you know. And so it's only in certain pockets of the state where Iowa is that top-tier, you know, that top-tier deer hunting. What's it like in Oklahoma?
1: So kind of where I'm located, I'm kind of more south-central. That's Mm -hmm. where I'm at. Uh, Kind of put it, you know in perspective I am an hour south, a little bit east of Oklahoma City. Okay. Um, I'm two hours directly north of Dallas Fort Worth. Okay. Okay. So for us here it is past hay pastures and hardwoods. You got a few rolling hills, things like that. Um, lots of timber.
0: Yeah. Are kinda of, so kind there's move. so it's big timber?
1: Yes. Okay. Lots of timber, lots of timber. Um, as you f- move further to the west, it starts opening up. You start getting to that red dirt, kind of uh, rolling canyons, things like that. Getting into a few croplands, lands, few, few crops down that way. Um, but then when you really push towards that northern and northwestern part of the state, towards the panhandle, that's where all your beans, milo, corn, Um, that's where that where that really is okay
0: and so if you were to uh just based off your experience you know every year i see giants coming out of oklahoma what part yeah yeah it's too late dude it's too late dude the the cat's already out of the bag about oklahoma (laughs) what part of the state tends to have the biggest deer so what's funny about that
1: it's you see a few big deer come out of the center mm-hmm. of Oklahoma, a few, but it seems to be either far northeast or southeast Oklahoma that have some of the biggest deer you see. Okay. Um, you
0: why know, why is you, that?
1: I think when you get to up to that northeastern Oklahoma, I think you get more of a Kansas, Missouri deer. mm mm-hmm. You kind of get that in the crops and things like that. Mm-hmm when you get in the southeastern part of oklahoma that's kind of more of pines and kind of mountains kind of in there yep i think those deer there's just a more deer density there Mm -hmm. so and with it being like that i don't think that a lot of the i think the deer get to a good age there because of that when you think of oklahoma if you're a resident here you think about you know like cole county um you think about there's a few deer in the county that I live in. There's been some big deer. You think of Cole, you think of Grady County. Um, you think of things, those counties is where your majority of your big deer. Hughes County is where a few big deer's come out of. Um, but that kind of, you know, there's certain counties kind of like for you. You know, you think of you think of uh, uh, Pike County. You know what I mean? Pike there's, County,
0: Illinois. Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah. You think of things like that. There's like you said. There's pockets of where it seems like there's big deer. Um, And like in my county, my my county's Pontau County, you would think of it, you know, majority of your big deer are going to come from southern or southeastern Sharon County. Majority is where they have in our county. Um, Just something about the genetics and things that are there that help the deer get bigger in those areas.
0: Yeah. So what about management at that point? Because obviously um, the perfect example is, again, Iowa. Where southern part of the state, uh, you're going to run into the the farms that are heavily managed for deer hunting, okay? And so deer get that age, they get the big bodies, they get the the which results typically in larger antler size on average, and so um, what's the what's the conversation like in Oklahoma about? managing properties and and land for deer
1: i think this goes for more than just oklahoma but what i'm going to say here is everybody sits on the couch or in their recliner they watch bone collector they watch some kind of hunting show they love watching nowadays right right i think now it is pitched so far in your head that hey i'm gonna let that three-year-old go i'm gonna let him go to four or five i think the management has got a lot better over the years, in my opinion, just because of that. Um, but I, in Oklahoma specifically here, you know, you get two bucks. Yep. You can kill either, you can kill them both with a bow or you kill one with a muzzle or one with a rifle, et cetera. But you can only kill one antler deer with a firearm. Yep. Um, but you do get two tags, right? Two buck tags. So
0: I could shoot two with a, a bow if I wanted to. Yeah. Okay. All
1: right. Yep. Um, so we can kill, let's see... Uh, five, six deer total. Mm-hmm. It is. The rest of them are does. Two bucks, and then the rest of them are does. And then you have a holiday season coming up for like uh, right around Christmas, which is like an extra doe you can get to give you seven seven deer total. Right. Right. Um, for management wise, though, I I think we have a decent management deal. There is a group that I won't say names that are pushing on on a Facebook and other social media platforms for Oklahoma that we need to be more like Kansas and we need to go to a one deer or one, sorry, a one buck state, That that's what we need to do to go here. And they've went all the way to the Capitol built and trying to get this past. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain things that I agree that I think that'd be great because there's what, how many years do I actually fill both tags, especially when right. you're a big mature deer, right? Right. Um, but I think that that limits a person like me when I've got places going all the way from, Beaver County, Panhandle, Oklahoma, where I can kill a mule deer and I can go all the way over here to Hughes County over here by Calvin and I can hunt deer there, that really limits me. I've got one deer I can kill, one buck I can kill between that. And a mule deer counts as my two buck limit. So if I kill one whitetail or one mule deer, that's all I can kill for the year. So I don't don't see it. I think two buck is a great um in my years of hunting we started out with three bucks right and we went down to two and i think that you know people bitched and moaned about going down to two but really to be honest i think it was great now that i've been in a few years i think two bucks was actually a great call
0: yeah and and that's the converse that's that's a really a great point that you made but there's way more layers than what is often talked about it's like oh don't take deer tags away from me Right. And you guys have an extra layer of confusion because you have mule deer too. Yeah. You know what I mean? So now we're talking multi-species with the same tag. All right. Yep. Now the confusion that I see coming into is, is, Hey, we want to be like this state, but we're not that state. Right. Uh, from my understanding, Kansas is wide open. I mean, it, I mean, obviously way less trees in certain parts of the state, um, easy to sh- shoot a deer with a uh, a rifle uh, easier because there's less obstructions right um in really any state even in um uh you know when you start talking about should we be a one buck state should we be a two buck state should we be an antler point restrictions in certain zones should we do this y- me and you we want to shoot Big, mature whitetails, right? That's what this conversation is going to be about. But there's 50%, if not more, people out there who just want to hunt, right? Yeah. And they don't give a shit about antler size. They And those people want, I mean, obviously people want bigger antler deer, right? I mean, you, you ask anybody, would you rather shoot a bigger antler deer? Yes, I would. Definitely. But when, it ta- when you start talking about taking away a second buck tag for them, uh, especially if they can shoot two with a bow or, you know, one with a bow, one with a gun, like we can here in Iowa. Now what you're doing is you're, you're, you're limiting people uh, opportunities at deer. And I know that's kind of uh, how do I put this? Cause I, I'm, you know, people have heard my conversations about certain weapons and during certain times of year and certain, you know, like crossbows and things like that. I don't consider that necessarily limiting people, but, what you're doing is you're removing i don't know it it's just it's so it gets so complicated because every person has a has a different like some people just want to get out and hunt if it's brown it's down some people just want to go out hey dude I'm happy with a spike and then there's others like us where hey man I'm I'm going to try to get the older age class deer so, this is kind
1: of, there's two ways to go over this, in my opinion, how I th- I think that could be, that could actually go somewhere. So, let's go to turkey hunting here in Oklahoma. Yep. we used to be a two-bird, two-bird limit, okay, two toms, okay? Defining deal was, I think, I-35 or something, I can't remember which one it was. If you were on one side of I-40 or whatever, you could shoot two birds on that side or one bird on that side and then if you're on this side you can shoot two birds mm-hmm. okay just because in the certain parts of the state they don't have as good as hatches and things like that right so now this year they've implemented now that they pushed our season back instead of april the 6th now it starts on april like the 16th or some kind of crap right because of their thinking their theory is hunters are killing too many birds and they're not bringing enough hens when reality, and that's a whole different rabbit hole <clears throat> there. But uh, to me, I would say you do deer the same way. Why not the where you have your crop fields and things like that, where it's wide open and you're getting a western or northwestern or New, northeastern Oklahoma? That's where you put your restrictions for your one buck. And if they want to kill another one, they can travel and they can go to another part of the state, or different county to do that. Yeah. Um, but another way to go to it to me is... Let's move our raffle season. Instead of it being the freaking peak of the rut when it starts, that'll help some of those deer make it maturity wise. Mm-hmm. We put back another week yeah, or at least a little bit. You know what I mean? It'll help some.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah dude. I mean, I've been doing this for almost 1000 episodes and there's nobody that is ever truly happy with their state rules and regulations. And so it it, it just gets, oh man, I, you know, if I was in charge, I'd do it a different way. But if I was in charge, I'd also piss a lot of people off. Right. Um, Yeah. But the people who should ultimately be making the decision, in my opinion, is the Department of Natural Resources, because they are the people who have the most data. Right. And data is. Yeah. yeah. And data should be what's driving rules and regulations.
1: So. I don't know. Somebody I'm sure will know in the comments when they get to this. They reach out and me know the deal. But I haven't researched it anymore. I know it came out as a hot topic before deer season started this year. I want to say in July. It passed the first tier that we're in. Hopefully in 2024 we will have a velvet season. Okay. Uh, for archery. <clears throat> for me... Oh my gosh. And you probably for you as well. How many times in velvet right there in the first part of September have you had a deer every freaking day? Oh yeah. Come like clockwork with mm-hmm. velvet on and you can just like, all you got to do is go out there and be, oh, I need to be in the stand about 615, you'll row in about 630, you know, yeah. right? Because they're so hard on the feed pattern that time uh, that you could kill one at that time. I'm very excited for that, especially with a bow. I've always wanted to kill a velvet deer. Yeah. Um, but I hope that it passes and it comes through
0: is that then going to count as your archery buck for the year or it will be an yeah. individual? As one yep. Yeah. I wouldn't mind if Iowa did something like that, where for residents only, uh, yep. it was a special season, maybe once every, once every five years or something like that. Right. It, not every year, but once every, you'd be willing to give up your archery tag for this archery velvet, um, period mm-hmm. Or you can also use a muzzle loader, and that would that would also count as your firearm. Your your fire so kind of what I
1: read the, on that how it's going to work. some something that's going to go along the lines of um, private. It's going to be for like a draw type thing. Yep, for people that hunt private lands, that can draw for it, put in for a draw, and they're going to give so many tags out. And it's only going to be for residents of Oklahoma, no non-residents yeah. from way, the way I read it, yeah. which I think that's great. Because, no offense to this, but we have been, got in the last few years, heavily bombarded with Louisiana and Texas people in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. leasing up land like crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they come here and you know, they, they, you know, how it starts. Oh, well, there's big deer here. And then kind of the same way, you know, with all the TV shows that's come here now, letting the cat out of the bag with all the big deer we have.
0: Yeah. Yep. Dude. The same thing with Southern Iowa, really what it's coming down to is Illinois has gone through this. Wisconsin has gone through this, uh, any place with good deer hunting, it money is talking and walking in those States, right? Uh, I want, I want land in order to buy land. You got to have, really good money especially in southern Iowa or any any place in Iowa land prices are so expensive then you say well i want to lease this ground and so now when the there's there's in my opinion there's this disconnect from my grandfather and my father's generation to my generation where it's like they 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 just want the profit as opposed to i can remember uh, conversation I had with one of my best friend's grandfathers, uh, a, a major company, this is no joke, sh- uh, hunting company, came up to his door in eastern, southeastern Iowa with a briefcase of money, thinking that this was going to influence him to sell to them. And they showed him the money and they said, we'll buy your property for you right now. And this is like, this would have been in the late 90s, somewhere around there. And he goes, so are you going to farm it? Like, uh, like, are, are you going to move to this area and things like that? And the guy was like, no, we're going to come here to hunt it every year. We're going to manage it for deer. And so basically what he, what my buddy's grandpa heard was, we're going to kick off all the locals. We're not going to farm it for ag, which means you're kicking off the the farmer who cash rents it. or or things like that, you know, and so that, like that generation's gone. And then now you have people who are like, well, if I can make a dollar off of this, I'm going to make a dollar off of it, which no (laughs) offense, no offense to them. Times are tough right now. And anytime you want to, uh, like money, man, you just need more of it these days.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Times are definitely tough.
0: Yeah. Let me, that was a rant by me, by the way. I apologize for that. Uh, let me talk, I want to talk to you about non-residents in Oklahoma because I can, I can, what interests me about going to Oklahoma is that I can go and I, as a non-resident, I'm guaranteed a tag. It's over the counter and I can get two of them just like you. So there's really no distinction between resident, and non-resident. What are your thoughts on that?
1: So I know It helps. Our department of wildlife mm-hmm. you know with doing that because we get a lot of non-resident sales but i think they almost give them away for the price that they are so take for example if i because i go to colorado every year and i draw for the unit that i go for just take the draw out of out of the equation it still costs me almost 800 dollars to go to colorado for an elk tag Cost costs me 400 something for a mule deer tag right Um, I think Oklahoma needs to up the price. That will weed a few of the people out, the non resident people from coming here for that reason. Mm -hmm. Um, which I don't have a problem with non resident people coming here. You know, that's just fine. If you got a good place to hunt, go ahead. Um, as long as you're my neighbor and you're managing good. (laughs) (laughs) If not, stay out. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, I don't have a problem with non-residents. I, I think that I do think that you should do like some states where they have to shoot a doe first. Mm-hmm. I feel that way because they pound it on us. We need to shoot more does, more does, more does. Well, the only way to force somebody, the one person you can force to shoot a doe is your non-residents. Yeah. Because you can't shoot a buck until you shoot that shoot a doe.
0: Yeah, That's do- my only... I, I think that is such a great idea that's not implemented because there was a, a while there where uh, Wisconsin had an earn a buck, right? You had to shoot a doe to get your buck tag. Even I think even residents had to do that. Dude, I, I'm I'm such a huge supporter of that, especially in counties where there's you know basically endless doe tags. There's certain counties in Iowa that I can't get, I can't get a tag. But then there's other counties uh, where I can't get a doe tag, but there's other counties in Iowa where if I wanted to go back and get 50 doe tags, I could go shoot 50 does. Yep. So. Yep, yep. yep. Um, interesting. What's the public land scenario like in uh, Oklahoma? So
1: to give you just a brief deal, I haven't spent a ton of time on... Public land here in Oklahoma. The majority of public land that I've spent on has been some here, not too far from my house, and it, I haven't really spent a lot of time necessarily during deer season. I've been on there for duck season, mm-hmm. um, but the little bit of deer hunting that I have has been towards the panhandle. Yep. Um, so I have went during the muzzler season. So the WMA that I go there is a bow only. Muzzle loader only in a certain section, and then you have a draw for another section. They only put 10 tags in this one section, and then for rifle hunting, it's draw only no rifles at all. Only I think it's 10 tags total for the whole place. Mm -hmm. Um, I've went opening week of muzzle loader, and it's freaking nuts, looks like a pumpkin party everywhere. Um and then I went last weekend of Musloter and I might see six guys on the whole four thousand acres or whatever it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um but I will tell you this, since the word we don't like hearing COVID, yeah. It has definitely influenced the number of people in the outdoors. Um I know just I didn't hunt it the last two years just because I've had private property there to hunt. Yep. Um but I've talked to the biologist and a few friends that has went up there and hunted the, the hunted it. Mm-hmm. The number of people has got grown yep. a lot. Yep. I could tell just fishing wise too. Going on to the lake with going with the boat. There's just, there's more people. Yeah. You know, on the lake.
0: Yeah. And that's a good thing in a way. Uh-huh. I mean, getting people out in the outdoors, that's ultimately what we want. I think, I think, yep. uh, but the same I, dude, I've seen it everywhere too. Public land in Iowa, uh, public land in South Dakota, public land in Nebraska. Before COVID, man, I was the only person out in some of these spots. After COVID or during COVID and after COVID, com- yeah, more, just more people. Uh, I And yeah. and that's that's great, right? And that's just, hey, we need to be outside more. And that's great, I think, right? I, I think, which means- I think so yeah, and I th- we
1: we, we gripe, we're grappling We're on the lake when we're getting bombarded by jet skis and party boats and pontoons. When you're trying to bass fish out there on a daggum brush pile and 15 yep. foot of water, but you know, in reality, you don't want your kids sitting at home playing video games the whole time, being right. on the couch. You want them outside playing. You want them outside doing things.
0: Yeah, that's a fact. Think of
1: the big picture, not just a small picture.
0: Yep, that's a fact. Which brings me to the topic of the amount of public. And uh, does, uh, public, let's talk about public and let's talk about, does Oklahoma have a walk-in program where farmers can say, Hey, I'm going to put my property up as walk-in and you can come hunt it.
1: Yep. They do. It's called, Oh, it's called OLAP here. Okay. Oklahoma Land Access Program. Okay. Um, there is there's not much of it in my part of the area, but if you go to where I just killed that big deer and last part of rifle there, there was tons of that. Matter of fact, the land right next across the county road from where I killed is was planted in hay grazer this year for bird hunters for like your dove hunters and all that. And it's Olap land. There's a lot there's quite a bit of land up there that, that farmers put in put in for, for OLAP for access to people to hunt. Of course, it's bow and shotgun only on those places. Um, There's plenty of public land though, man. I mean, plenty of it. Um, There's obviously parts that are more sought at than other, just because of the antler size of the deer that Mm -hmm. they know it's been taken off there. Um, But usually those places for residents or non-residents, if you wanted to apply, uh, those are draw usually for those places. Um, but they do have places with those that where you can just go in and hunt with a bow yeah uh, so
0: Public land like uh, kind of f- mixing this conversation in the in the past conversation that we had, really I, I feel like access is the key word and I feel as private land continues to be sold and and again Iowa is the example here. Western Illinois is the example here. Permission on private property has gone down, right? And anytime you buy a piece of land just for hunting, I'm not saying every time, but majority of the time. For example, if I bought the farm that I've had permission on for the last 15, 20 years, if I buy it, I'm going to... Uh, f- I hate to say it, but I'm going to be kicking people off of it who currently have access to it, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there would be displacement. They would have to go somewhere else to hunt, or they would not hunt, right? Um, so I, that's happened to me a I feel like a hundred times where I've got you know the the landowner passed away, the kids sold it, the the someone came in said no hunting because uh, I'm going to hunt it. And so what we have here is all this displacement, which leads me to the point I'm trying to make. And I, you know, anytime we start talking about, uh, do we want more hunters or not? I think the question is, do we have enough access to sustain the number of hunters that we have? Cause anytime we start to like deer management, I love it. You know, I love passing small deer, but it's not realistic in the in my opinion it's not realistic in this let's everybody hunt everybody needs to hunt let's bring more people into the the hunting space the more people means we have to have a either a bigger deer population or we have to be okay with shooting sm- smaller age class deer and so mm-hmm. again that's just a another rant for me <laughs> yeah.
1: sorry i got sidetracked because uh my cell camera's going off, and uh, there is a pretty good one that is at the feeder right now.
0: Right now. So are you going to leave? <laughs> no, no,
1: no, I, uh, I'm i not. But I, I thought it was kind of surprising yeah. with it being the time that it is. Yeah.
0: So let's let's talk a little bit about uh, how you hunt, where you hunt. Um, you, meant, you kind of mentioned that a majority of the ground – that you hunt is private correct Mm -hmm. right so talk to us a little bit about the terrain you've kind of did you mention already that it's big woods yes here yes okay here and so uh would you consider this your main farm that you spend most most of your time on
1: yes so i have several little patches here and there or in, in my county where i where i hunt at Kind of back where you're talking about public land access, I kind of, so when I was uh, younger, I hunted a place um, south of here, not very far, 640 acres, and I had it all to myself. I actually grew up there. I killed my first deer there. I was, you know, seven, eight years old. Um, I grew up there. I know I, there's not one part of that property that I don't know, right? right. And kind of my hunting influence, Randy, uh, one of them, he told me, it's like, one day. You won't have it. Mm. So one day, well, he was right about three years ago, four years, three years ago. Um, the farmer comes to me and he goes, hey, I'm going to let you hunt in here. He said, but you hunt on the south side. We're going to split this east-west fence. You have the south section. I'm leasing the north section to some Louisiana guys.
0: Yeah.
1: And I was like, son of a gun, right? A matter of fact, that's where this deer come from here. We had my first podcast with you. That's where that deer come
0: from. Oh, above. okay. All right.
1: Um, that's so what they killed in 17. Anyway, I hunted that place forever. And I had a lot of great deer on that place. A lot of deer that I had passed that had grown. Um, so I had a group of Louisiana guys come in and they were brownest down type people. Mm-hmm. That place now has went to another group of four great Louisiana people that are on there. Three guys. They only bow hunt only. They're managed minded. Um, But dude, when you kill that many up and comer deer, there, I think there were seven on them on 320 acres there on the North section of me. And you get that many deer tags and buck tags. It don't take long to wipe the population out. Yeah. Um, so it's not my main farm anymore. It's really not. Matter of fact, I think I hunted down there last year, two times. Yeah. And I went down there during the doe season to kill me a doe because I know I can kill me a doe. And, uh, it surprised me because the year before that, I hunted it pretty hard with no success and nothing to mature. So that's when I really backed off of it last year. And I went down there to my surprise during the doe hauler season, what I have, but like a 130-inch, 9.3-year-old walk out for a minute. I go, <laughs> where'd he come from? Like, I, I figured he'd be dead, but now well, that's when I met the new people that were leasing the north section. And they were like, no, we're bow only things like that so it kind of gives me hope it gives me hope that actually it's going to recoup itself um i actually spent first part of muzzleloader down there this year um hunting a bedroom set that i had and i had five different bucks come by in one dough the whole time and three of them were really nice three-year-old bucks and it gave me it, it made me hope that they're you know it's on its up and up yeah hopefully
0: that's good so um how do you approach your year? I mean, is there is there a specific way you you go into every season or postseason? And so I look at I look at the end of the season as also the beginning of the new season because I look at shed, I look at shed hunting season as the beginning of the next season, right? So the the the, the winter it's time. your
1: foundation. It's yeah. your target. Yep.
0: Yeah. And so I mean, Oklahoma is a, a bait state, right? you can you can feed deer uh there um how how does that impact the way that you hunt is it necessary because there's there's certain states where people are like dude if i don't bait i won't see deer because every everybody else around me does
1: i would tell you that'd be exactly the case but this year absolutely not okay there was a deal come out from the department of wildlife the other day. Uh, towards the Tiller and a rifle where our harvest percentage down like 27 percent 30 percent we have had a humongous crop of a, acorn acorns acorns are you going to call them yeah. pecans they're everywhere and let me tell you the number of deer hitting the feeders are very low they don't have to go anywhere to feed i mean um if we get some more moisture hopefully coming in the slap parses maybe we'll start getting them rot so they'll come back on the feeders more um, which I've noticed in the last week, I've got smaller bucks now batching together. Some that are hitting the feeders are trying to recoup from the rut. So, um, if you're not feeding in most years, I'm not saying you're not going to kill deer, but you're not going to pull the number of deer to you because your neighbor's feeding. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, as I kind of told you in the preview of this, like this deer right here um, was a, a suburban deer. Um, he lived in the backyards of cul-de-sacs, living out of feeders, people that, ooh, and awed him off the back porch all the time, mm-hmm. right? So, um, he was used to feeders, eating out of feeders and things like that. So, everyone's feeding. So, yeah. you, you've got to feed to, to compete.
0: Yeah. And so, the, this year would would have been just an exception, right? Like, a, bup, a bumper crop of acorns that's obviously deer gonna want to go to acorns right They that's one of their favorite foods i guess and so um but from a strategy standpoint where does this this the the feeder play into and how does it play into where you set up how you set up when you go in so like on a normal year yep, norm- normal year yep
1: so basically for me kind of like you my season really starts Right now, January, when I start getting ready for sheds or getting an inventory of who who survived, right, Right. the soldiers of the that made it through the gun season. (laughs) Uh, So for me, I kind of have a general idea for that place. um, I'll go in, I'll feed. You know, this time of year with it being late, I really pound them hard with some protein, some heavy protein feeds and fat. Try to get some, you know, meat back on them so they can, as soon as they shed, they can go back to growing um so for me how i approach it basically i kind of do an inventory kind of get an idea maybe i'll have one or two cameras on a, on on a place yep Kind of get an idea where these deer are coming from and then um i also just hang a stand accordingly to it with the wind direction to that um try to get an extra early have good access coming in so you're not really bumping deer yep um but basically it's it's the same as what you would do i say where you're at and you know in iowa except of hunting instead of instead of hunting like a bean field or whatever where their their main food source think of a feeder is their main food source right they get on a pattern coming there every day right so uh, people say it's cheating or whatever but i've got places that i can sit there and that feeder will go off for eight or ten seconds and before that feeder goes off, probably two, three, five minutes before, deer age. You can see them way down in the timber. Mm-hmm. That feeder goes off, here they'll come, yeah. and they'll feed. Now, majority of the time out your does and your younger bucks, most of the butt the, the bigger deer don't really, you know, don't really come up there until later. But I'll tell you a known fact, and I know people can prove me wrong on this because I know people have done it. Like these deer right here, I have never killed a big deer mature deer off a feeder yeah. Never. yeah I've killed every one of these big deer off a bait pile I killed them off a bait pile or just happen to be on a trail um, to me I think those big deer know at a feeder something bad things happen at those things mm-hmm. um, I think they know that they've known in the past that there is human scent around those places like that and just that I have not killed big deer off a feeder. I kill them off piles more than anything. If i got a place where i got influx of pigs, I'll build a big pen. I'll feed in the pen, keep the pigs off of it, and let them jump in and do that. But that's how I've killed deer off bait piles is that no
0: feeders. Okay. So it's not necessarily um, uh, a bait pile that is there all year round what you're telling us is that you've figured out a buck's pattern and now all you're doing is going in there, dropping a, a fresh bait pile that is there to entice him to come into a new set.
1: Yes. Okay. Basically for the most part. So like during the summertime, there's places that I feed just specific protein where I have feeders and stuff. Matter of fact, like I told you, I just got a silk notification that feeder there is a gravity feeder I most I switch it over basically when it comes to the fall to corn, mm-hmm. just straight corn. But I mean it's running 365. But when it starts getting in this time of year, I switch it to protein, and it runs protein all the way till about September. or So, because that protein's too hot on their stomach, yep. After switching to the corn, um, but for the most part, that's kind of what I do. I have places where I, you know, I go in. I'll stick a bait pile just to get a picture of a one known deer to know he made he made it mm-hmm. he's made it to that you know and kind of see where get a inventory of what his antlers look like right um and then I'll leave him alone and I'll feed him on the spot where I want to kill him right mm-hmm. so I I do I do things like that
0: gotcha and that seems to be the running theme from just about any anybody in any state that allows baiting that the big dogs, they may come in downwind of it, but they just don't bit blatantly walk in a straight line to the feeder unless it's nocturnal.
1: Yep. They yep. crosswind the heck out of it a lot. Yeah. Matter of fact, there was a episode way back when with you and Mark Kenyon. Now, I forget what y'all, who y'all had on, but they talked about how uh, a big deer will, I want to say it was, I uh, can't remember his name. Anyways. A big deer will ninety percent of the time he will, when he gets out of his bed, if he has a destination in his mind, he will crosswind the whole way there mm-hmm. on his way to his destination yep. to make himself safe.
0: Yep, yep, hey, dude, that that makes sense because that just happens about every year when I'm walking, yeah. you know, when I'm watching. Very rare does a a deer run go straight to the wind and very rare do they have it straight to their back. It's always at some kind of an angle for the most part, you know, I've seen exceptions. I've seen exceptions, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Um, now when it comes to, uh, the, the quality of deer that you, that you're looking for every single year, does that differ based on the property or are you pretty consistent statewide with it?
1: um pretty consistent so to me i say this and i kind of i kind of hypocrite on myself on this but i uh i say bare minimum 150 antler wise Mm -hmm. but really really uh i should be going for more that five year old or older Mm -hmm. that's what i should be going for um because i have passed uh, one deer um where this deer was living that was a really nice probably five-year-old deer mm-hmm. but he didn't cut the mustard on antler size um so i'd say i keep it pretty consistent i say antler size 150 or better i try to i try to go for mm-hmm. uh and i'd say since 20 2014 2015 i've pretty much not deviated from that um, I think exception would probably be 20, 20 probably 25th, 2016 was probably the only year rough year. Didn't kill deer all year long. Naughty. I think I might even, I might have even kill two does. And I think I killed a really nice one. Yeah. The very last, even in a rifle season. And, um, but he was a mainframe, eight, like a upper one thirties eight with a big kicker off one side. Um, and I'd hunted him pretty hard just because I had him for a couple years and he was an old deer. Yeah. Uh, but he was an age deer. He wasn't necessarily uh, an antler size deer for me. Yeah,
0: dude, I saw this. I saw this buck this year. Uh, I passed him at about. He was probably about thirty yards. Dude, I should have shot him. I, I look back, and I'm glad I didn't because I'm happy with how the rest of the season played out. But he was probably that 110 inch deer. But 110, 120 as an eight point. But he was pushing, I bet he was pushing 300 pounds on the hook. Oh, yeah. Just an absolute tank of a whitetail. And uh, one of these years, uh, I'm going to, and maybe that's what I do with my muzzleloader tag. If I can't find, you know, a a giant, you know, old whitetail in the antler department, I'll shoot one of these big bully bucks that basically, you know, basically just takes up space. And then they, when they're gone then it just it you know there's other opportunity for different bucks to move in and see i don't want to sound bad but see for me with me having two kids yep
1: that kind of that kind of helps with that because i got some places where i got some cold deer or some bully deer like yep. That, yep. that i don't personally want to burn my tag on mm-hmm. but i can put them on and let them take like i had my son he killed a pretty nice one he had an injury i think he got hit by a car i think uh, but broke one side off down in his head, and he uh, was, was a nice deer. He was just put an eight point, but um, he was a uh, almost I think it was four and a half. Is what he was, right? Um, but he'd been that pretty much that same size last year when he was three and a half. He didn't grow much, but he was a bully. I yeah. mean, a big time bully. Yeah. Um, he shot him with a crossbow. I mean, all I did was grunt at him. I had what I had was a, was a little six pointer at the feeder, and I grunted at him, snort weeds, dude, and. I mean, nothing better than that decoy. He thought that little buck was running. He comes sidestepping all the way in, and he just he hammered him at like you know twenty three yards across though. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of a kind of kind of a, our management deal. That's good yeah. for my kids to pick those out.
0: So you you also mentioned that this this year okay this year the buck that you shot during rifle season was on public right. No, it's no, private. Private now, but you had to travel for that one, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And so this was a completely different part of the state. Yes. Okay.
1: About five. About five hours away from where I live.
0: Northwest. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, so you're. Were you up in the Panhandle for that one or not? Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. I don't. I'm not trying to get specific details. Like, give me the address of this farm. No. <laughs> so, um, north. Do you have to hunt different in the northwest part of the state than you do on your main farms?
1: Absolutely. Okay. Uh I was when I started going there, I was mind blown. A deer here, you, you know, you they may travel two or three, four hundred yards from bed to feed, going to a feeder or going to a food plot. Those deer travel miles to go to a Milo field. Yeah. And it's almost like almost like cattle going to feed Mm. like there were trails beat to where they every day they, they travel there and they're nomadic. I mean, when you get to a certain part of the time, you can see the transition right around, right around Halloween, a little bit before when the ag starts coming out, your milo and corn, everything starts doing it. They transition. Then there's kind of a, you know, we, everyone talks about October lull. I say there's a, there's a harvest lull because those deer are having a transition from their crop that they were, Basically he was bedding and feeding in that milo field, right? There he's going to the Ag Ditch, he was watering, you know, he didn't have to travel much, right? All summer long, that's what he was doing. Well, um, and then you then they have to find out where they're gonna go next. Well, about that time the farmers have planted wheat, well, you know, first of November that wheat's starting to come up, it's fresh, it's tender shoots. Then they start transitioning to wheat. Okay. Uh it's just it's fair. It's very different hunting there for sure. Um, a lot of a lot of time on the glass, kind of like when you go to you know Nebraska, you're, you you spend more time sitting back, making a game plan on what you're doing more more than sitting in a spot saying okay they're gonna come by here. At least for me, that's right. that's how I am.
0: Right. Okay. And so uh, northwest when you more or uh, more less cover, more wide open yeah. spaces. Okay. All right uh, where what are the deer doing out in those wider environments uh, you've already talked about them moving longer distances for food, but where are they living?
1: So in there your patch of trees mostly are gonna be river bottoms mm-hmm. the trees that you do have and really there's not many many trees there. they call them tamaracks there or salt cedars you can't have along the river it's kind of a to me the closest thing I can see to is more like a, a a mesquite tree a mesquite tree without the thorns yep. Um, there's a lot of those in low places that kind of, they kind of bed in those or they get down in a deep drainage where a a drainage ditch is with a bunch of sunflowers and they bed in those places. Um, but those deer basically, they live for food. That's, there's nothing there. Their their whole life revolves around food because the winter is so much harsher there. Um, you mean the exception is obviously the rut. But the does are still doing that. They're still feeding. That's, yeah. that's their main deal is feeding.
0: Yeah. Uh, so my uncle lives in Kansas, a little bit north of you. And he says that the he feels that the peak rut is about a week later than it is in Iowa. When would you say the, the peak rut hits Oklahoma? So where I live,
1: this year it was it was odd. It was just kind of trickle, trickle rut here, it seemed like. Um, But I'd say majority years, your Halloween time, you have your few does that pop. You have your big deer that get with those few does. That's where a lot of people start losing some of their big deer or gaining new big deer. Mm -hmm. Because of that, their does, they've got a few does starting to come in. But your peak rut is going to be where, um, I should say, from November 5th, to like the 12th 13th that's when they're absolutely going pretty nuts chasing cruising pretty hard mm-hmm. and then the actual peak breeding time is right around that first part of rifle, that 15th to the 21st somewhere right in there and it goes a few days past that obviously um but that's kind of your peak breeding times there so you're, now you're, you're talking further...
0: late into the second week of november yeah Okay. Yeah, that's when your
1: peak breeding. I would say somewhere around somewhere around the fifteenth to the twentieth. Somewhere around there is your peak few days. I would say of that.
0: That's not too. That's not too far off from Iowa. I think. No. I think my my uncle he always says the best time for me to be out in the woods is like the fifteenth to the the end of the month almost. So, so I tell you, this
1: year, panhandle wise um the picture i sent you of the big mule deer that was killed my buddy went up there they went up there the week before raffle season started on a friday and they hunted all the way to the following friday before raffle season raffle season started they said on that friday they seen bachelor bucks of of deer together still young bucks right Um, of of mule deer of no of white tail deer and mule deer as well right that big mule deer was with three does but um anyways by the end of it, in a week's time, by that Friday, they were seeing some deer starting to bump does—not really chase, but bump yeah. a few does. Um, and I mean, we're talking no—that'd be somewhere around. That's November, like the twentieth, nineteenth, right in there. Yeah. And here, it's going mass galore here, right? Yep. I mean, it's going nuts. Um, and when I got there, when I, that last weekend of rifle, like the big deer that I killed. He wasn't very far from a doe, but they weren't together. Yeah, um, I could tell that he had rutted pretty hard. Uh, he probably hadn't been too long off a doe, to be honest. But then on another another property there, just down the road, eight miles, I had a four year old deer lock with a doe that Friday. She come; they'd come in every afternoon. He stayed with her for two and a half days. Yeah, um, so your your uncle may be pretty close to that part of the country um, just because i think the buck to doe ratio is a little a little bit off yeah because you got a ton of does they mm-hmm. can't get them all bred yeah so i think it pushes it a little later because of that
0: yeah that that would be very interesting to see statistics if they ever had anything about the amount of does in in high deer density areas that don't get bred because even if you have a high density of deer, you would also think that there'd be a higher density of bucks, which means that the, the yearlings and the, the two-year-olds are having an opportunity to breed.
1: Yeah. So, yes, I, I, I would see that. You would think that. But I almost think, I've seen, in, I've seen it, I don't know about with all of them, but uh, the does are kind of picky. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. They kind of want to be bred by old boss hog. They don't. They don't want a young two-year-old breeding them. Yep. Um, I actually watched a video on YouTube the day that someone had got a young deer. Uh, he actually killed a doe because he bred her so many times because he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. He actually killed her because um, wow. of that. So I, I think they kind of. Think they're kind of picky in a way yeah. so i got a spot here that's literally two minutes from my house down here where this deer came from and uh they're still rutting there yeah they're still right i mean I, but i have a shit ton of does in yeah. there um the the young bucks are back together but the big deer still cruising I, they come through in the afternoons they'll nibble a little bit on some feed just to give them a little energizer, and they're back to moving. I mean, they've got to scrape this big around in there where they're just working the piss out of it, trying to keep it open.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, my friend, sounds like you got you got things figured out in Oklahoma. Um, when it, I just I don't know why this popped into my head. I, I usually ask it, but I forgot to ask it. Why do you love hunting deer so much, man? I'm going to come back to this with you. So I got a question asked
1: to me last year when I was on my elk hunt with my buddy. Yeah. He said, would you rather catch a 15-pound bass or kill a 170-inch deer? At that time, I'd never killed a 170-inch deer. big steer was 160 and an eighth. Yeah. Okay. I said, I'd love to catch 15-pound bass just because it's harder. They're harder to come. They're like a unicorn. They're harder to come by. Right? Um, I make a picture of 170-inch deer almost every year maybe. Not Not necessarily, but close, right? Yep, yep. Um, but I don't kill it. I killed this deer last year in tenfold. I would rather kill a hundred seven inch deer over catching over catching a fifteen pound bass. Yep. Just the love of that feeling of the adrenaline. They make you earn it, man. Yep. They they make you freaking earn it. They make you blood, sweat, and tears. You gotta live it to be able to kill them. Yep. yep. Um, and I and I think that's why. I love it so much. I love the energy and the work I put into it, and of course, everyone wants to be successful, and that's the most rewarding part of it. Yeah. But I like it that I can integrate my kids, my wife, my friends into it with me. It's not just a solo thing. Yep. Um, and I love taking other people to go kill their first deer. Um, I like it. I like that. I just I like deer hunting just the way, and I provide for my family. Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, man. Well, I tell you what, that's same here. <laughs> like, well, first off, I will say this, where I like going fishing. Don't get me wrong. I love catching big fish, big bass. But you could drop that down. Would you rather catch a 15-pound bass or shoot a 150-inch whitetail? <laughs> uh, dude, I, I, or shit, even lower that, 145? Dude, I, I'd rather shoot the, that deer than to catch a, a fish of that caliber any day of the week. Yeah. 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 But I you wish. that
1: feeling they give you.
0: Yeah. I wish I could catch a Boone and Crockett deer. Like, like, here's the thing I like about fishing. Catch a big fish, throw it back. Next time you catch it, it could be bigger. I wish I could shoot a deer, somehow get the picture taken with it, a, and, you know, eat, I don't know, get the meat off of it, but then throw it back, and then yeah. shoot it again next year. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way with bow hunting. Yeah. So no, unfortunately. Yep. Well, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast and BS with us about, you know, where you hunt, how you hunt Oklahoma, all that good stuff. And, uh, dude, hopefully someday I can get out there. And, uh, it's Oklahoma definitely on my list of places to come and visit.
1: I'd love for you to come man. I got plenty of places for you to come hunt. And, <laughs> uh, I got plenty of plenty of places. I can
0: put you on one. So, Hey, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Have a good rest of your day, man. You too, man. See ya. All right. Oh, yeah. There you go. Can you hear me? All right. Yeah. And there you have it. Episode, whatever in the book. I don't even know what number this is. It's like 800. Uh My goal is by is to have a thousand episodes by this summer, and I want to do I want to do something big for my one thousandth episode. And so, I really appreciate each and every one of you. I want to I appreciate Tethered Wasp, Vortex, Code Blue, Woodman's Pal, Huntworth. if you want to support me, go support these companies uh, because I advertise for them. I've created relationships for them. They have all have awesome products. And uh, I'd appreciate it if you would go check that out. Outside of that, man, good vibes, right? Good vibes in, good vibes out. And we will talk to you next week.